Hi, Sarepta. It's wonderful to be with you again on a Sunday morning. And uh, I want to thank you, first of all, for having me in your homes. And uh, I'm not sure if there's anyone actually meeting in the in the church building, but um, wherever you are, where, where you can see or hear me, um, thank you for giving me the privilege of, um, of sharing with you today. Um, and I have a particular word that I felt is specifically for you, and maybe that has to do more with certain individuals than others, but um, I want you to just hear it, immerse yourself in it, and, um, and receive the good of it as we move through these, these texts. Uh, I want to start with um, a well-known text in Romans chapter 5, uh, the first five verses that say this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the, our hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love is being poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The train of thought that Paul is speaking about here began in chapter 1, where he quotes Habakkuk saying, the just will live by faith. In fact, the text really is saying, the just will live by his or her faithfulness. Faith has to do with looking at the person of God and believing him. Faithfulness has to do with living the uh, in obedience and in a commitment to that God and his words. Um, so I want us to look at the prophecy in Habakkuk, which is where this all started. And I want to speak to you about a word that was sent to me this week by a dear and trusted prophetic friend of mine. Uh, and it is summed up in the phrase, pitch your tent in a land called hope. Habakkuk was offended by God. He was a millennial. He was way before his time. Uh, he was offended by pretty much everything that was going on around him. I mean, watch this. He was offended uh, a little bit like Jonah, who Jonathan spoke about, um, was it two weeks ago? Uh, he, he was offended by the things he saw around him. And then he was offended by God's answer to the things that were going on around him. Everything God told him caused him offense. In chapter 1, he's offended because God was allowing Israel to get away with evil. And so God says, don't worry, I'm sending the Babylonians to give Israel a smack upside the head. And Habakkuk says, I'm offended. You can't use sinful pagans to punish sinful Israel. That's not right. And so God's reply is one upon which the entire evangelical faith rests. He says, I don't care if you're offended. This is my decision. You can take it to the bank. You can write it large on a big billboard so that someone driving past in his Ferrari at 180 kilometers an hour can read it. 
If it seems to be delayed, wait for it. Those with false motives for faith won't make it, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness. As God unpacks his word to Habakkuk, he receives some of the most beautiful and astounding prophetic promises for the entire world, for the church, and for the kingdom of which we are a part. Prophecies like this that say, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is all still part of that message that God is giving. He is saying, wait for it, it's coming. The judgment that's going to come is coming. But also mixed in with all of that is the fact that at the end, God will vindicate his righteousness. He will save his people. He will be their savior. Uh, And so in the middle of all of these things, as Habakkuk is dealing with his offense, he also is drawn to to speak in spite of himself. He's, he's drawn to, to speak these amazing prophecies. He's also drawn to pray that it would come in his day. That great text that says, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And then it shows how he pitches his tent in Hopeland. That's in the final chapter. And so as he again recounts all of these things that God is doing now, judgments that are coming, as well as the promise of a, of a future, uh, a good future, he, he then uh, reaches this place where he says, okay, I'm setting up my tent in this land called hope. And this is how he says it. Yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. Faith, you see, is based, as I said earlier, on the person of God and on the goodness of God. But faithfulness, on the other hand, is based on the hope. And our hope depends on our experience of God's love and grace. And so pitch your tent in this land called hope. And I want to just finish this by giving you some tent pegs that you're going to need if you're going to pitch your tent in hope land. The first one is the presence of God. Psalm 42, uh, it says this a few times over in Psalm 42, but but here is one of them. It's in uh, verse 5. He says, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you in despair? Despair is the opposite of hope. Why are you so disturbed within me? What is making you unstable? And then he answers himself and he says, Saul, put your hope in the presence of God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. He is speaking not here about the things that God is going to do. He is speaking about the person of God. He is saying, I am putting my 
trust. I'm putting my confidence. I'm putting my hope on you, my Savior and my God. So that's the first ten peg you're going to need. And we'll talk in a, uh, right at the end about ways in which you can appropriate that ten peg and drive it firmly into the ground of Hopeland in your particular life and family. The second one, the second ten peg you're going to need is the love of God. And that's the text that we started out with. Romans chapter 5 verse 4 says that perseverance uh, brings about hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Hope is not going to let you down. You know, there's the text in Proverbs that um, many people refer to that says, Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Uh, hope is something that um, that can sometimes be disappointed. But Paul says this particular hope that we're talking about here will not be disappointed. It will not let you down because here's how God is saying you're hoping in the right thing. You can take this to the bank. Uh, he, he is saying you can you can bet your bottom dollar this is going to happen. And he says, and here's how you know, because as you hope those things, the love of God is poured out in your heart by the Holy Spirit. Shed abroad is a lovely way of saying that. It reminds me also of Lamentations chapter 3, verses 21 to 26, where he says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will wait for him. I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. It is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And so our second ten peg is knowing and appropriating and immersing ourselves in the love of God. The third tent peg that you're going to need is the word of God. And again, we could go to every and any book of the scriptures to find that as our as the basis of our confidence. By the way, just to remind you that the difference between faith and hope is that faith is now, hope is future. Faith is activated by hope. Because uh, Hebrews 11 tells us that faith is the substance of things hoped for. And so hope is a picture that we see of a future that is going to come about. Uh, faith is the thing that lays hold of that and that says, I'm making that mine now. It is the substance of things hoped for. Psalm 119 uh, as a place to a peg to hang our our uh, our third uh, dimension on the word of god as a, as a place and a basis for our hope it says this in verse 49 remember your word to your servant for you have given me hope my comfort in my suffering is this your promise preserves my life your promise your words preserve my life 
Not only do they preserve my life, but they're taking my life all the way to that perfect future, to that final redemption, to that consummation that God has spoken of all the way through the scriptures and that Jesus promises us. The fourth tent peg for your tent that you're going to pitch in the land called hope is the sovereignty of God. And of course, for that, we probably are all very familiar with Jeremiah 29 verse 11 that says this, I know the plans I have toward you, says the Lord, plans for good and not for evil. In another place, he speaks in Isaiah about I, my plans for you are for building up and not for breaking down. They are for blessing and not for cursing. I know the plans I have toward you, says the Lord, for good and not for evil, plans to give you a future and a hope. You see, when God introduces himself in that text, he speaks as the Lord. He's the one, uh, some translations say, the sovereign Lord. By sovereign Lord, the emphasis there is on his kingly authority, his royal authority. It's on the fact that there are times when God says, I would like this to happen, or I would not like this to happen. Uh, for example, it says in Second Peter, God uh, does not desire uh, that any should perish. He's not, he doesn't like the idea that people are going to perish, but some people are going to perish. And so uh, there's nothing that God can do to stop people uh, perishing against their will. But there are other times when God says, now this, this is something I'm going to do. And I don't care what you say about it. I'm not letting anything stand in my way. I'm going to bring this about. I know the plans I have toward you, the, the decrees of the Lord, the, the, the determined intentions of God. I know the plans I have toward you, plans to give you a future and a hope. So, Put that peg in place as you complete the pitching of your tent in Hopeland. So, just as Habakkuk is told he can take to the bank that God will punish sin, so we can take it to the bank that he will vindicate his righteousness, he will save his children, he will consummate, consummate his kingdom. This is our hope. So what do we do about it. We, we're to take those four ten pegs and spend time thinking about them. As I said earlier, embracing them, holding on to them, examining them, and driving them deliberately into the ground. And the first thing is to appropriate His presence. To daily, to moment by moment, and especially in times when our hope is a little bit weak, we are to say, Lord, I know that you are here. I just welcome your presence. I practice your presence. I appropriate your presence. That's the first, that's the beginning of the prayer of the examine that I practice on a twice a day basis. The first thing is becoming aware that God is present. You don't have to beg him. You don't have to twist his arm. He is, he is eager to be with you and to let you know that he is with you. 
So appropriate his presence. Second of all, appropriate his love. Let him fall on your neck like he did uh, for the prodigal. Let him take you in his arms. Let him embrace you. Let him kiss you with the kisses of his mouth. And let him say over you, you are my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Let that be your truth. Let that be the thing that secures you. And once again, especially when hope is getting weak, take time to let God love you better. The third thing is to abide in him, but also to let his words abide in you. Let the words of his heart abide in you. What does that mean? Uh, to, to let his words abide in you is to let them be like the, like the blood that flows through your veins, like the sap that rises in a tree in the springtime to let it flow, to let it become your life force, to let those words form and shape your thoughts, to let those words secure and, 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 and reassure your feelings. Uh, that's what it means to let his words abide in you. Let them be prominent in your mind. Let them be prominent in your heart. Let them be the uh, the, the, the substance of what you think and your attitudes. I interesting, isn't it, when, when Peter had lost hope, um, when he had said, after the, even after the resurrection, I'm going fishing. He buzzes off, he goes down to Galilee, and, um, and only to find that Jesus got there before him. And so, and when Jesus finds him, he doesn't scold him. He doesn't uh, bring to mind his, his uh, denial. But rather he says these things. Do you love me, Pete? Do you love me? Are you, are you passionately in love with me? Are you fond of me? Are, are you really my friend? Because you see, the test of the fact that we are uh, immersing ourselves in God's love is that we love him back. We love because he first loved us. I don't know why I, I stopped to say that. But let me finish by saying this. In the, in the moment of our knowing our love for him, we need to become aware of the fact that we are secure in him. We are secure in that love. God's sovereignty is something that he has vested, he has invested, and he has committed to not just his will taking place for the sake of his fame, but that he will do everything he has promised because he so loved the world. He, is, he, he has sent his love to enact the things that he desires toward us. Uh, when it comes to salvation, when it comes to protection, when it comes to defending us against the enemy and against the forces of darkness. God is on a throne. He shows the prophet before any prophet is shown anything else. He sees the Lord. He sees the Lord enthroned. He sees the Lord uh, in a chariot. 
he sees the Lord uh, kind of leading clouds of of uh, of armies and angels. And so be aware that God has all the power he needs to bring about his word and to fulfill the hope that you hold in your heart today. So just let's take a moment to pray, to welcome that presence of God again. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for a love that will never let us go. Thank you for a word that will never return to you empty, but will accomplish that for which it is sent. Thank you for a word that even though the earth melts, even though the the flowers fade, even though the trees are, are scorched, even though the mountains fall, your word will never pass away. And so, Lord, I, I, I'm pitching my tent there. I'm pitching my tent in that land called hope. And I pray that you would enable every person in the sound of my voice today to do the same, to pitch our tents in a land called hope, to use the tent pegs that you have given us to secure our dwelling, even to expand our dwelling so that those people for whom we also have hope may find shelter in our tent. So we welcome you, Lord. I thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And I thank you for the hope that those things give us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again, Sarepta. I look forward to seeing you sometime in the future. But God bless you all. Have a great day and a great week.